Christians. Well, if you have a Bible, please can I ask you to turn to Galatians chapter 2. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at chapter 2, verses 15 to 21. So if you have a Bible, please turn there and please do uh, keep it open throughout. And then while you're turning there, let me ask you, I wonder how often you've heard people talk about discovering the key to something. Maybe it was the key to health or the key to wealth, the key to happiness, the key to fitness. Here, they say, is the one thing that you really need in order to be healthy or happy or safe or successful. Just eat this food. Do this workout. Take this vitamin. Use this app. Pursue this career path. Write in this special journal with this special pen. Practice this habit. Uh, These days on YouTube and on social media, everyone everywhere seems to be promoting something. All manner of life hacks, is what they're called, and all manner of promises of life-changing discoveries. One problem with it all, and I think there are many problems, but one problem with it all is just, there's just so much out there. And you can start to wonder, how will I ever get around to, to reading and listening to all of this and applying all of this to my life? What if I miss out an important life skill? What if I spend my time focusing intently on improving one area of my life and then I discover that over here I've not even thought about something I should have been thinking about and doing for so long already? We live in this information age which can frankly be exhausting and overwhelming, especially if we think we need to know everything that is out there in order to truly live. If you've ever felt like that, our passage this morning contains some liberating news for you. Because this morning's passage is all about just one thing. A single truth so life-changing and so powerful that it really is the key that unlocks the door to everything that we'll ever truly need. It tells us, it's going to tell us, how a person, man or woman, boy or girl, prince or prisoner, baron, don't know if we get those anymore, but baron or burglar, how anyone can be brought into a right relationship with God. And it's the glorious truth of justification by faith. There is literally no true Christianity or hope in this world without this truth that we're going to be exploring together this morning. So whoever you are this morning, young or old, Christian or not yet Christian, this is for you. If you're here and you're not yet a Christian this morning, this is the best news you will ever hear. And if you are a Christian, this is the news that we need to keep on hearing because we are so prone to forgetting it and so prone to forgetting how to live in the good of it. We're going to read it in just a moment, but once we've read, I want us to then follow Paul's lead and do two things. First of all, we're going to make sure that we understand this truth that lies at the very heart of the Christian faith. Uh, Paul helps us to do that in verses 15 and 16. And then second, we're going to explore what it means to live our lives in light of this truth. And Paul addresses that in verses 17 to 21. So two headings this morning. First of all, understanding justification by faith. And secondly, living the justified life. But first and foremost, let's read God's word together. Let me read from verse 15. Paul writes, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. He's referring to himself and Peter. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, 
but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. First of all then this morning, understanding justification by faith. What does it mean to be justified? Three times Paul mentions this word just in verse 16 alone. But what does it mean? Justified was originally a legal term, a law court term, a judicial term that meant to be acquitted, to be cleared of all charges, to be declared innocent, which, if you think about it, is a wonderful thing if you're stood in a courtroom and charges have have been brought against you, an accusation has been brought against you. It's a wonderful thing to then be cleared of those charges and to be declared innocent in the courtroom. But actually, in the way the Bible uses this word, it means something even better and fuller than just a verdict of innocence. It means to be declared positively righteous, to be declared positively right with God, to be counted righteous by God, our creator. So it's not just the absence of condemnation, it's the very opposite of condemnation. It means, for the very first time in our lives, being restored to a relationship with God where there is no longer any kind of barrier between us. Now, some might wonder why there would be any kind of barrier between us and the God who made us anyway. But the Bible tells us precisely why there is this barrier. Because of our sin. God is our creator and maker, the giver of life and every good thing. He is altogether holy and good and generous. And we have rejected and rebelled against him. That rebellion, if you're not familiar with it, is what the Bible calls sin. And it's the cause of this barrier between us. Now, just picture, if you will, for a moment, as if this picture of this barrier is actually being a, a real wall. Just kind of picture that in your mind's eye, a real wall between us and God. Just imagine standing at the foot of this giant, unscalable wall. Imagine craning your neck up so far back as you look up at the infinite height of this wall before you. Imagine looking from left to right, hopelessly taking in its unending breadth before you. And imagine knowing that the life-giving God is on the other side of that wall. That everything ultimately good in this life is on the other side of that wall. Your one true home is behind that wall. The person you were made to know and enjoy forever is behind that wall. The biggest and most important question that you and I will ever face in this life is undoubtedly this. How can a sinner get right with God? How can I get past the wall? 
Is there a way to get over it or around it or under it or even through it? Is there a way maybe to have this wall demolished? That is the fundamental question that lies at the heart of Galatians. This is what the Galatians have got themselves in such a mess about, in such a tiz about. They've got themselves confused. How do we get through the wall? How can we be justified? How are we to be forgiven and declared righteous by God? The Galatians are lost in confusion. But it really isn't a complicated answer, a complicated question to answer, because here, plain as day for all to see, God gives us his answer, the answer. First of all, he tells us, Paul tells us, how we won't get justified, how we won't get over the wall. Verse 16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Now, he starts there because that's precisely how most people in the world tend to think if there's a God, this is how we would get right with him, how we would be in his favor. That we can justify ourselves by human effort. And that as long as we put in enough effort, making sure our good deeds outweigh our bad, making sure we're nice to people and we give to charity and we help little old ladies across the street, then all will be well and we'll be right with God. John Stott says, that is the religion of the man in the street today. Indeed, it is the fundamental principle of every religious and moral system in the world, except New Testament Christianity. It is popular because it is flattering. It tells a man that if he will only pull his socks up a bit higher and try a bit harder, he will succeed in winning his own salvation. But it is all a fearful delusion It is the biggest lie that the world has ever known. And here is one way we can know that this way will never work, because if anyone ever had a chance of doing it this way and accomplishing it this way, it was God's people in the Old Testament. They actually had God's own law in their possession. They alone weren't guessing or working with a vague list of ideas of maybe this is how we could please God. No, they knew precisely how. They had the divine law. God gave it to them on tablets that they could read and have read to them, but they couldn't keep it. Those who were Jews by birth had it. Those who were Gentile sinners didn't have it. But here's the thing, says Paul, it makes no difference. Neither Jews with the law nor Gentiles without the law can be justified by the works that they do. The problem is not with the law the problem is with us, with you and me. We, we rebel. We fail. We fall a million miles short. We are all in the same boat, and the boat is sinking. Left to ourselves, we're all condemned. We're all cut off from God by this great wall of sin. We can't get over that wall or through that wall or around that wall. We can't get right with God by any human effort. And Paul says it again one more time at the end of verse 16, just to make sure we're really getting this, that it's really sinking in. By works of the law, no one will be justified. So how then can we be justified? Only through faith. Now, they say there is more than one way to skin a cat. And I've been thinking about this week, about this this week and I don't even know why you would say that and why you would skin a cat or whether there are more than one way to skin a cat. 
But there really is only one way to be counted righteous by God. Through faith. Only one way. Faith is the exact opposite of works. The antithesis of any good that we could do. So works tries to earn. Faith simply trusts. Works do their best. Faith recognizes that's never going to be enough. Works keeps a record and a savings account. Faith declares bankruptcy and cries out for help. But notice too here that it's not just faith in itself or or faith in, in anything you like. Paul says that our faith must have a very specific object. It must be faith in one thing in particular. Uh, President Eisenhower, many years ago, once said that America is founded in a deeply felt religious faith. And he said, and I don't care what it is. So Eisenhower thought that faith itself was just worth having. And wasn't, isn't it great that our nation is a people of faith? I don't care what that faith is in. But Paul did care. For Paul, the most important thing is what we believe in, not the mere fact that we believe. It's only faith in Christ that justifies. Three times in verse 16, Paul stresses that point. Uh, He says, faith in Jesus Christ, believed in Christ Jesus, faith in Christ. Here's what all of this means. Let's bring it together so far. That there is only one way in all creation... Only one way for every person in every nation under the sun to be counted righteous and acceptable before God, to get through the wall, and it is through giving up on our own efforts at righteousness and placing our trust solely in Jesus Christ, God's Son. He alone can save us because he alone kept God's perfect law. The eternal Son of God, he came to earth and became a man, became one of us. But unlike all of us, he lived a perfect sinless life. For him alone, there was never this wall of sin between him and the Father. Every second of his life, he enjoyed unhindered access to God. Until that is, one day he was cut off entirely for our sin. And that was the very purpose for which Christ came. At the cross, as his flesh was nailed to wood and his blood was poured out for us, the great wall of our sin came crashing down upon him, burying him beneath the rubble. Isaiah 53 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Peace with God. And so the only way to be justified, the only way to be forgiven and made right with God is to give up on trying to fashion our own hopelessly inadequate righteousness, to forsake all effort of our own, to give it up and instead trust solely in Christ and his sin atoning death to have his righteousness become our righteousness and be credited to our account. That is the gospel. That is Christianity. And so let me ask you a a personal question this morning, the most important question that you could ever be asked. Have you recognized your need to be justified by faith in Jesus? 
And have you turned from your own self-effort and put your trust solely in Christ to receive it? Maybe you've spent much of your life doing all that you can to do good. Just hoping with your fingers crossed that it will be enough to get through the wall to get into heaven. But on the basis of what we're reading here in God's word, in God's own words, let me appeal to you this morning, however hard you've been trying, forget climbing your way back to God. Forget working to earn your own righteousness. Forget earning your way to heaven. It is a lost cause. Please don't waste your life on a false hope. Give up on it entirely today and and bank your hope on what God says here in his word. This morning, accept his free and gracious offer to be justified through faith in his son. Today, if you came in here and you were not a Christian, today you could go home counted completely righteous and acceptable to God, just as accepted as those people in this room who have been Christians for 50 years. This morning, you could go home completely forgiven and at peace with God and with the utmost freedom to draw near to him now and forever. This is Christianity. This is the gobsmacking truth of justification by faith. It's the most liberating and freeing truth in all of the world. It is honestly the key to everything you will ever need. And for those of us who have been Christians for five years, 25 years, 50 years, doesn't this truth still fill our hearts with such comfort and joy and peace? Isn't this the rock of assurance that we could happily live and die in absolute peace upon? That we ourselves have been justified through faith in Christ. That we ourselves are even now perfectly acceptable to God the Father today. As perfectly acceptable today as we were on the day that we were saved. And as acceptable today as we will be when we stand in glory. That when our Heavenly Father looks at you today. No matter how messy your ongoing battle is with sin. He sees you now clothed in the perfect spotless righteousness of his son. Now, with you, he is well pleased. This truth of justification by faith ought to be one of the most powerful realities in a Christian's life. Something that we continually return to and rest in and rejoice in. And something that will, as we treasure it, have an increasingly transforming effect on our lives. Well, that's really where Paul turns his attention next. As we move on to the second half of this morning's passage, he's going to tell us now from his own experience, his own personal experience, what it is to actually live this justified life. So second of all this morning, living the justified life. And two two sub-points here. First of all, we see here the Christian life isn't a life of law-keeping. It isn't a life of law-keeping. Now, here Paul is, really, he's beginning by responding to a common accusation that is often leveled against him and leveled against the gospel. Paul, his opponents would say to him, surely your gospel of uh, uh, faith alone, in Christ alone, grace alone, surely it promotes and encourages sin. It tells Christians it doesn't matter what they do. Telling people they can be 
justified entirely through faith alone. That doesn't, it's not going to lead to holiness and godliness. It's going to lead to license and loose living. And I wonder, have you ever thought that way about the gospel? Has that ever crossed your mind? Isn't this kind of a permission to do what I want? If we've really grasped the sheer extent of God's justifying grace, this question ought actually to have crossed our minds, maybe on many an occasion. Perhaps we've even wondered ourselves whether it wouldn't actually be better to just introduce a little bit of mandatory law-keeping back into the Christian life, back into what makes someone a Christian, you know, just to make sure that we all keep on the straight and narrow, and we don't use grace as an excuse to go on recklessly sinning. The thing is, it can be so tempting for us to want to put up those guardrails of law back into our lives, justification by works of the law. A bit like um, uh, for the fearful amongst us when we get to the bowling alley and uh, we want to put up the bumpers on the lane to stop our ball going left or right. And, and, and maybe you even take a child with you so you have an excuse for the bumpers to be up. But, but you don't want to go in the gutter. You don't want your ball to go back into the gutter. And sometimes we can, it can be like that. With us as Christians, we can think, I, I want to put some bumpers up. Surely someone should put some bumpers up so, just so that we... Don't end up back in the gutter. I want to remain in God's favor and in his good books. But listen to Paul's response, verse 17. And I will give you that verse 17 is, is not the most simple verse to kind of unpick what Paul's saying, or at least why he writes words in this order. But I uh, just wanted to flag that up. It's not just you. But he says, If in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners... Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, then I prove myself to be a transgressor. Here's what he means. The fact is, he says, that the fact that justification by faith alone frees me to go and eat with Gentiles, with non-kosher Christians, that isn't making Christ a servant of sin. God forbid. It's honoring what Christ has done. But what would be sin is me withdrawing from eating with Gentile Christians, like Peter's doing, because then I'd be rebuilding the very thing the gospel has torn down, salvation by works of the law. What's been knocked down needs to stay down. Whenever we try to go back to relating to God on a, on a law basis, on a legalistic basis, it's like we're trying to rebuild the very wall that Christ has knocked down for us. Like we're trying to undo all that Christ has accomplished on our behalf. As Paul says further down in verse 21, that would be to nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. We, we surely don't want to nullify the grace of God, do we? We surely don't want to do anything that might suggest that Christ died for no purpose. So we must go cold turkey on using God's law to justify ourselves. We've got to give it up. As Paul says in verse 19, it's not just that he's gone cool on the law. He says, I've died to the law. Christ has paid the penalty for our law-breaking in full. And as Christians, the law no longer has any dominion over us. So where does that leave us? 
As a 00 agent, James Bond has or was given a license to kill, except in one movie where it was revoked. But as a 00 agent, usually James Bond has a license to kill, a freedom to kill. As justified Christians, have we then just been given a license and even an encouragement to sin more than ever? Is that what we've been given? Oh no, says Paul. Because we've actually died to the law for a reason. Look again at verse 19. Look how he continues. I've died to the law so that I might live to God. Here is why the Christian life isn't a life of law keeping. The gospel frees us from the condemnation of the law. It frees us from its unending performance treadmill that we were running on for so long. Precisely in order that we might now, for the very first time, truly and freely and willingly live for God. And now Paul's going to tell us what that looks like. Rather than the Christian life being a life of law-keeping, the Christian life is a life of faith in Jesus. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. What Paul is describing here is something we call union with Christ. In its simplest terms, it means that if you're a Christian, you are in Christ and Christ is in you. It's a bit like, and I heard this illustration a little while back in a book, uh, it's a bit like a set of uh, Russian dolls, three Russian nesting dolls. You know the one where there's a doll inside a doll inside a doll? You open up one doll and there's another one inside and then you open another one and there's another one there as well. We're like the middle doll. We're safe and secure and justified inside the larger doll of Christ, Christ himself, so that when you open, if you you could open Christ up, you would find us there inside. We are in Christ. But then when you open us up, you find that inside there, there is Christ as well. He's on the inside of us too. We're in union with him. He in us and we in him, so that wherever he goes, we go. So that what happened to him is counted as happening to us. When he died, we died. When he rose, we rose. That's how Paul can say, I have been crucified with Christ. Uh, Paul, of course, didn't actually die on the cross for his own sins. He wasn't actually crucified next to Jesus. Christ died for him in his place. He died the death for us that we couldn't die. But now, so closely are we intertwined with Jesus. So closely are our lives connected by virtue of our union that in another sense, we really did die with Christ on that day when he was crucified. Christ's life and ours are so cemented together that although he did all the work, we receive all the benefits United with him in his sinless life. Our sinful past has been completely blotted out. United with him in his life-giving death, we have died already to our old godless way of life. United with him in his resurrection, we have already been raised to a whole new way of life in him. It's no wonder then that Paul can say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Those are profound words, aren't they? It's not 
that there's no longer a me or you at all. It's not that we've somehow lost our personalities. But it's a new me and a new you in the place of the old. We have a new identity in Jesus. We're children of God, loved and welcomed by the Father, indwelt by Christ and his resurrection power. We've been made new. And that's why the message of justification by faith, it doesn't in any way promote or encourage sin. Oh, it pardons us of all our sin. But justification by faith actually frees us from slavery to sin. It is like we're fish, okay? Imagine you're a fish for a moment. But we were once fish, stranded and lifeless on the sand on the seashore. But it's like now we are fish who've been thrown back, returned to the ocean. We've been cast back into the ocean of God's love, where we belong. And in that ocean, we have been set at liberty. We've been set free to live for him, to live free as we were always meant to be. Now, we still sin, of course, as Christians. But in our heart of hearts, we no longer want to sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. We, we go to war with our remaining sin. We want to begin to live for him. And we even relish and enjoy the idea of living for him. And yet in all of that, and amidst the battle, it is so easy, isn't it, for law and legalism to still creep back in. We've been seeing that in recent weeks already in this series. We're going to look more at this again next week, at how often, even after being saved by grace, we can still be tempted to try and perfect ourselves by the law again. But for now, just, just look at what Paul says finally here in the second half of verse 20 about how we're meant to actually live this life of grace. He tells us what it is we're meant to do as Christians. We're meant to do one thing, and that is to trust Paul's life is one of trust. The life I now live in the flesh, he says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Christian life is a life of faith. It's not just a moment of faith at the beginning that gets you in, that gets you the ticket, that gets you through the wall. Christians are people who live by faith in the Son of God, who Keep returning and resting and trusting in all that he's done. So let me ask you this morning, if you're a Christian, are you living by faith in the Son of God? Not just do you have faith in him, but are you living by that faith? Is faith in Christ your signature tune? Would those around you look on and say, yep, there is a man, there is a woman who clearly lives by faith in Christ? He's not easily disheartened or discouraged. She's genuinely joyful and grateful and humbled by all that God in Christ has done. Or what do you do, what do, you do when you've sinned? Do you try to hide it from God and cover up? Do you hang back? I've done this so often. So often. Hang back from entering his presence until you can make up for it with a, with a sort of a counterweight, a, a, a string of good works to make things well. Or do you live by faith in his son and so remember that you can always turn to God 
that his verdict is final, that you've, you've already been completely and irrevocably justified in Christ. And so you can approach him even there and then, one second after you've sinned, you can go to him. You can go in repentance and faith the very second that the conviction of sin hits you. You are justified. Or how do you view the good works that you do? Your efforts to bless and help other people, do you view them at least in part as a way to justify yourself before God and justify yourself before other people? Or are they simply the healthy fruit of faith in Jesus? Do they just, as they should, flow out of the unshakable confidence that you don't ever need to actually impress anyone else ever again? You, you certainly don't need to impress God and you don't need to impress the people you're serving now you have the unfailing approval of God himself forever in Jesus. Is that how you do good works? By faith. And finally, what do you think about when you go through trials? Are we tempted to look at our trials as a sign that God no longer loves us? That he's forgotten or forsaken us or even that he's punishing us? Or do you look at your trials through the eyes of faith in Jesus? Remembering that all the punishment that was ever destined for you has already been paid in full by Christ, so this cannot be punishment. Remembering that you have been welcomed once and for all into the Father's loving embrace. And so this must be Him still loving you immeasurably. And remembering that even if your circumstances for the present time seem immeasurably painful and perplexing, still he has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. And so he is right there with you in the trial and in the pain. These are just a few examples of what it means for us not just to have faith, but to live by faith in Christ. But it, it does take effort. Our hearts are prone to wander from him, prone to wander from the truth of justification by faith in Jesus. And so the life we now live as Christians must be one of intentionally returning to rest and trust and sing of all that he's done for us. Trusting that he is all our righteousness. Remembering that he loved us and gave himself for us. Resting in the fact that nothing in all creation, not even our remaining sin, however bad it might be, will ever overturn this verdict of completely justified now and forever in him. This is the justified life of the Christian. It's amazing. May we all be able to leave here this morning able to say gladly, humbly and gratefully with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Praise God for his great kindness and mercy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that these things are so wonderfully true and so clear before us in the pages of your words. We thank you that justification is not by works of the law, nor could it ever be.
but it is solely through faith in Christ, and that is all we need. Please help us, we pray, to return to and remember and trust in this truth all the days of our lives, to rest in the one who loved us and gave himself for us, to live by faith in your Son. In his name we ask. Amen.